From Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 6. Canto 6, what's that about? It's prescribed duties for mankind. Chapter, six, uh, chapter 5. Narada Muni cursed by Prajapati Daksha. Prajapati, uh, Daksha takes his service very seriously. Uh, when it gets interrupted, he gets upset. Text number 13, is that right? Puman naivaiti yadgatva Bilaswagam Gatoyata Pratyag Tama Vida Iha Kimasat Kama Bhir Bavet Umanaivaiti Yadgatva Bilaswagam Gatoyata Pratyagdhama vida iha Kimasat karma bhir bavet Puman naivaiti yadgatva Bilasvargam gatoyata Pratyagdhama vida iha Puman, a human being. Na, not. Eva, indeed. Eti, comes back. Yat, to which. Gatva, having gone. Bilasvargam. To, that, to the region of the lower planetary system known as Patala. Gataha, gone, yata, like, pratyagtam, the effulgent spiritual world, avidha, of the un- Intelligent man. Mm. Avidha. 
it's um, yeah, those without learning. Eha. In this material world, Kim, what benefit? Asat karma bhi. With temporary fruitive activities, Bhavet, there can be. Narada Muni had described that there is a bila or hole from which having entered, one does not return. The Hariyashvas understood the meaning of this allegory. Hardly once has a person who has entered the lower planetary system called Patala been seen to return. Similarly, if one enters the Vaikuntha Dham, Pratyagdham, he does not return to this material world. If there is such a place from which having gone, one does not return to the miserable material condition of life, what is the use of jumping like monkeys in the, temp in the temporary material world and not seeing or understanding that place? What will be the profit? Purport, as stated in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 15, text 6, Yadgatva nani vartante tadham paramam mama. There is a region from which, having gone, one does not return to the material world. This region has been repeatedly described. Elsewhere in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 4, text 9, Krishna says, Janma karma chame divyam evam yo viti tattvataha chaktva deham punar janma one who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities does not, upon leaving the body, take his birth again in this material world, but attains my eternal abode, O Arjuna. If one can properly understand Krishna, who has already been described as the supreme king, he does not return here after giving up his material body. This fact has been described in this verse of Srimad Bhagavatam. Puman Navaiti Yad Gatva. He does not return to this material world, but remains home, back to Godhead, to live an eternally blissful life of knowledge. Why do people not care about this? What will be the benefit of taking a birth again in this material world sometimes as a human being, sometimes a demigod, and sometimes a cat or dog. What is the benefit of wasting time in this way? Krishna has very definitely asserted in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 8, text 15, Mamu Petya Punajanma, Dukalayam Ashashvatam, Napnuvanti Mahatmanaha, Samsidhim Paramam Gataha. After attaining me, the great souls, who are yogis in devotion, never return to this temporary world, which is full of miseries, because they have attained the highest perfection. One's real concern should be to free himself from the repetition of birth and death and attain the topmost perfection of life by living with the Supreme King 
in the spiritual world. In these verses, the sons of Daksha repeatedly say, Kim Masat Kamapir Bavet, what is the use of impermanent fruitive activities? Almagana Timirandasya Gananjana Salakaya Chakshurun Militam Jena Tasmaye Shri Gurve Namaha Sri Chaitanya Mano Bishnam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Svayam Rupakada Mahayam Dadatisvapadantikam Mukam Karoti Vachalam Pangum Langayate Gurim Yat Kripa Tamaham Bande Shri Gurum Dinatarinam <clears throat> one's real concern, one's real concern should be to free himself from the repetition of birth and death and attain the highest perfection of life by living with the Supreme King in the spiritual world. Right. So, the Hariyasvas are the um, ten thousand. Is it the ten thousand sons of Daksha, or the one thousand? Are these the first or the second set of sons? Which are these? Are these the first or the second set of sons? First. I think there's 10,000 Hariyashvas, isn't there? And 1,000, uh, whatever the other ones are called. What are the... It starts with an L, doesn't it? Or is it? Let's have a look. Let's get this right. Yeah, the humps are good. Yeah, here we go. The Hariyashtas. And now the Yeah, these are the first sons. Daksha had two sets of sons. But I'm not quite. 
the second group of sons. Yeah. One thousand. Ah, Savalashvas. The Hariyashvas and the Savalashvas. Ah. So Prajapati Daksha is back again. <laughs> He's a glutton for punishment, is Daksha. He was uh, thoroughly embarrassed by his um, conflict with Lord Shiva, to whom he'd given his daughter, uh, and and with whom he had uh, such such a conflict that he he ended up with the head of a goat. Uh, a goat's head. <laughs> you know, which was very embarrassing. Um, his service is a progenitor, which means he's, he's meant to procreate. Uh, so having the head of a goat's not very conducive to it being attractive for that for that purpose. Right? <laughs> so anyway, he left he left his he left that body and took birth again. He's now reincarnated the same person with the same service pretty much. And has conceived ten thousand sons. All very, very qualified um, individuals. And they've gone to the um, where have they gone? Narayan Sagara, is it? They've gone to a, a very holy and sacred place to perform austerities um, penances and austerities so that they could um, follow in the footsteps of their father, really, to their father, one of them, to assist in the population of the, of the creation. That's what they're, they're doing. So... Um, Whilst they've been performing their austerities in uh, this place, um, Narada Muni happens to have Narayana Saras, where the river Sindhu meets the sea. In the West, in the West. 
So, seeing their qualification, seeing how qualified these young men were, and uh, their determination and their um, practice of austerities, Narada is preaching, he's encouraging them to take to a life of renunciation. And um, of course this is, the, this is the cause of the conflict between now Narada Muni and Daksha. Previously it was Narada Muni and Lord Shiva for a different reason. And um, so Narada Muni has given the, uh, the Hariyashvas this um, allegorical story and left them to meditate on his instructions. And, and they've uh, understood, they've understood Narada Muni's meaning. And he's here. Narada Muni had described that there is a bila or hole from which having entered one does not return. And so the Hariyashvas are then explaining their understanding of what this means. What does this mean? There's a hole. And there's two references that are provided here. The first one is, it can be an entrance into the hellish planets. And the mention here is that you can go to the hellish planets for so long that it looks like you've gone and you've never returned. Right? And we've already heard about the hellish planets in the... Um, Fifth canto, right? We've already heard about the suffering that's imposed upon the empire's living entities. So nobody wants to go to the hellish planets. It's a place of suffering. Um... But then there's another place, there's another place where, and, and, and I, I guess, who wants to go into that realm of suffering and never return, <laughs> effectively? This is, the, this, is the, this is the warning or the, the implication. And then um, the other alternative, far more attractive alternative, is to exit the material world and go through that hole, if you like, or that, that uh, entrance 
It can either be an entrance into the place of suffering in the lower planetary systems or an entrance into that place where you don't return to the material world for suffering. Right? And that is uh, here. Pratyagdham, right? Pratyagdham. So, Puman, Naivaiti Yadgatva. For the human being, there's a place where you can go. Well, there's a choice. We have a choice, effectively. The, the, the Vedas encourage, what is it? Uh, tamasi ma jyotir gama. Right? Don't go to the dark. But come to the light. Jyotir gama. Uh, And so uh, the light is the Vaikuntha planets. What's that? There's that verse that we chant. What is it? Um, um, Om Tad Vishnu Paramam Padam Sada Pasyanti Suraya Ho. We, 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 the, the, the call is to the uh, paramampadam, the topmost position. Om Tad Vishnu Paramampadam, that place of Lord Vishnu, Vaikuntha, effectively, which is mentioned in the translation. Vaikuntha Dham. Pratyagdham, another name for Vaikuntadham. If you go there, and, and so the, the devotees uh, offer their prayers and offer their obeisances and put their focus on going to that place of light, which is the, the Vaikuntha realm. That's the place of light and learning, knowledge, right? Um, yeah, here it's mentioned avida of the unintelligent, but literally that means one who's not learned. Right? So the 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 Hariyasvas have understood what what um, Narada Muni is is saying. We should go to the light. Not go to the the dark, you know. And and the opening or the the door to that darkness or that place of darkness um, is found in in our experience, especially in the human experience. The human form of life gives us an opportunity to build our future. Construct our future 
And our future can be in the light or it can be in the darkness. So the Hariyasvas have understood what Narada Muni is encouraging. And of course, this is a cause of great distress for Prajapati Daksha because Prajapati Daksha wants them to stay to help him populate the universe. Right? And that's his service. It's not that what Daksha is doing is wrong. It's quite appropriate. And it's interesting how it gets worked out, how it is ultimately resolved. Daksha, um, his first 10,000 sons uh, are encouraged by Narada Muni to not enter into that realm where you can end up in that place of darkness. Right? Effectively, you know, the... The, the, the household ashram, the Grihasta ashram. <laughs> right? This is a place of darkness. Right? It's a place where you can go to sleep and never wake up again. Right? What happens when you fall asleep? What happens when you fall asleep? Roger, what happens when you fall asleep? Huh? What happens? Who can say? Who would like to say? What happens when we fall asleep? Your body regenerates itself. That's one thing. Yeah, that's not quite what I'm referring to. Although it's not wrong. Huh? Yeah, we forget who we are. We dream. Right, we dream very often. Well, sometimes we don't even dream. That's when we, well, it's all regeneration in one sense, right? But we forget. We forget who we are. And sometimes we think we're something that we're not. Right? Have you ever experienced a dream where, you, well, who has, anybody here not, not ever had a dream? Right? We're all dreaming. Even when we're awake, we're dreaming sometimes. Huh? But, you know, I, I, I remember when I was very young, I used to have these vivid dreams of flying, oh, a lot of flying around the universe, right? All over the place. Or an, and, and, you know, totally absorbed in that identity. Or, you know, my, one of my earliest nightmares was that I would all of a sudden realise that I was just standing with no clothes on other than a singlet. Huh? It was totally embarrassing. What? I've already got a singlet on. So then I'd be pulling my singlet down to my knees to... to huh? Totally absorbed in the identification of <laughs> just wearing a singlet. I don't have those dreams anymore. I haven't had those dreams for a long time. But, but the point is we forget who we are. We forget who we are and we think we're something else. 
right? So this is pretty much what material existence is like. We've forgotten who we are. And, and the human form of life gives us an opportunity to remember who we are and to be re-established in our original identity. And uh, really the opportunity that comes with the human form of life is that, that ability to, to recover our original uh, person rather than be bewildered by who we think we are. In, from the material perspective, and so that's a real, that's a real, that's a, this is a great boon, because it's not available for any other birth. Effectively, that ability to discriminate is really the 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 benefit of the human form of life. The benefit of the, the benefit of the human form of life is we've got a pair of ears, right? but connected to a, a form which has a refined sense of discrimination. This is what, this is what, this is, what is the difference between animal and human and why the human form of life is so important and, and is to be taken advantage of. And why the Vedas are back, you know, come out of the ignorance, come out of your dreaming state, come out of your confusion, thinking you're this, that, the other thing. Right? How many things have you been in this lifetime? And none of them are who you really are. Right? Especially so many changes. But I was a, a young boy who walked around with only a singlet on. <laughs> Probably did. Uh, when you're very young, that's what you do. And we identify with that. But then you get older, and what are you? You get older, and what happens around about five? You become a school child, right? You're going to school. And you know, you start off in prep and then you become a primary school, then you you become a high school student. Right? You think, oh now I'm really grown up, I'm a high school student. Well that's what everybody tells you anyway. Huh? Oh, you're really grown up until you misbehave and then they say, Where are you? Just a child. <laughs> huh? So now all these different identity, uh, identities that we have, even just in one lifetime, what to speak of when we go to sleep and we think we're something else. <clears throat> and yet all of that is very temporary. That's all, it's just, uh, where's that? That's defined in the, in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. What's the verse? Starts with a D. 
right? All these different stages that we go through. But if, we're, if we cultivate knowledge, and this is what Narada Muni is doing with the Hariyasvas and later on the Sarvalasvas and almost everybody. We saw, we saw Narada Muni, or we've see, we see Narada Muni uh, instructing the hunter. What was his name? Mrigari. Is that right? Yes. The hunter. Right? And he's just instructing to help him get out of this illusory concept of who he is and realize his, his actual identity. <clears throat> and very interesting. What, what does Narada Muni tell him to do? What does Narada Muni tell Mrigari to do? Effectively, what does he tell him? Oh, okay, yeah, that's that. That's right, but that's not the hunter that I, is that. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, but it became Rama, Rama, Rama. So, what did he tell him to do? Effectively, what did he tell him? What did he tell him? Chant, yes, yep. He told him, yeah, told him to chant. Got him to chant. Made him, he said, become a Hare Krishna. Uh, in effect, become a devotee, right? Because, you know, really in a human form of life, that's the benefit that you get. And this is what Narada Muni is saying to the Hariyashvas, right? Become a devotee. In other words, dedicate your life to serving Krishna effectively, right? Because that's what gets you out of the material world. Uh, but of course that upset Daksha, really upset Daksha, because Daksha wanted them to, to uh, help him procreate. Which kind of, what that illustrates is, and this is, this is where there's a conflict between Daksha and Narada Muni, and why Narada Muni got cursed by Daksha, because it wasn't just the 10,000 sons that he sent to the spiritual world, but then it was the next thousand sons that really upset. And Daksha was worried because he, the first sons said, we heard, and it's interesting because you can see how pious a person Daksha is because he went to the um, Narayana Saras and performed austerities there and as a result of his performance of ritual and so forth, he got the darshan of Lord Vishnu. Right? He saw Lord Vishnu. So, you know, that uh, audience with Lord Vishnu is not for ordinary persons. So we can understand, Daksha is not, he's just, he's not, he's special. He's quite a special person because he's pure enough to have that audience with Lord Vishnu. Right? 
like the Prachetas before him and others. Which is interesting because uh, it, it demonstrates that um, the devotee sometimes can also have other motivations and that those motivations or those what appear to be material motivations if they're used in Krishna's service then they're acceptable by, by the Lord they're, they're quite acceptable right? we see that in Brahma's prayers and Brahma's Brahma also pretty much has the same mission as Daksha that's to populate the the universe, right? And of course, that's what Lord Vishnu wants. He, he wants the universal <clears throat> creation so that the living entities can ultimately be liberated. But at the same time, the material creation is formed so the living entities can pursue also their material desires. And of course, pursuing... Material desires is what keeps us in ignorance, right? So the point is, um, material desires are okay so long as you use them or that they're, um, what do you call it? They're, they're um, um, they fit in with Krishna's plan, you know, with, the, with Lord Vishnu's purpose you know if you're a renunciate well that's 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 different but if a, a person is is a householder uh, in the Grihasta ashram then the pursuit of material activities is almost a duty, actually, but it has to be a religious duty. It has to be, or shall we say, it has to be a duty that's connected with the desires of Krishna. Then it becomes purifying. And of course, this is, this is why Narada Muni is preaching to the Hariyasvas, because there's a danger. There's a danger in when one becomes involved in the, in material affairs, apparently material affairs, then there's also that degradation that can come with it. Right? And, and that ignorance that can come with absorption in material activities. Right? So that's why there's the caution. But activities, these activities, if they're engaged in the service of Lord Vishnu in the service of Krishna, then actually they can be the cause of liberation also. Right? Same activities. <clears throat> but one has to be careful. One has to be careful. Uh, one has to learn the science of of um, Bhakti, effectively, one has to be, one has to learn very carefully and hone and fine tune that discrimination. You know that discriminatory power 
that comes with the human form, not well, yeah, it may come naturally with the human form, but it also has to be cultivated. It has to be honed. Right? Because the, 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 the material energy has that, Maya has two potencies. Right? And one potency is to keep us in a state of ignorance, right? where we're thinking, I am what I'm not. Right, this is what Maya means. Not, not real. It's not real. Although there are two types of Maya. Well, two to- there's the there's the Maha Maya and Yoga Maya. Right, Maha Maya is the material energy covering over the original spiritual identity of the living entity. And then there's yoga maya, that's, the, that's where one is fully absorbed in one's spiritual activity, spiritual practice, practice if you like, or in the liberated state, spiritual activity. <clears throat> and maha maya has two potencies. One is the potency that keeps us covered, that keeps us thinking that I'm a... Um, um, I am an Australian. Well, this is the Australian Maya. Well, I love my country. But it could just be easily, and every, we've all got it. We're all ethnocentric to a degree. I am Indian. I love my country. Uh, can you relate to that? Anybody here relate to that? Everybody thinks their country's the best. No? What do you reckon? Except if you're an enlightened transcendentalist, like Marie Keshari, you know. <laughs> huh? Australia's okay. Australia's okay. Well, see, that's the thing, and as Prabhupada points out, you can be an Indian one day, and the next day, to your great benefit, you can be an Australian. No? Huh? And many of my Indian friends know this, right? They know that here's an interesting thing, that you can be an Australian and still be an Indian, right? right? You get a PCI card and then practically speaking, you can, you know, well, they take away your ability to vote, right, isn't it? And you can't own certain property. Um, but you can still own land in India. You can still be. You still go and live in India, even. Uh, so you can be, a, or practically speaking, a dual citizen. Uh, some people work that out because that's problematic. Of course, because you don't know who you are. What am I? <laughs> who am I? What are you? But the human form of life gives us an opportunity to understand who we really are. And the process of bhakti also, science. Science of self-realisation. It's not a belief. Prabhupada says, this is not a belief. This is scientific. You do this, you do that, you do the other thing. Or Prabhupada says, you know, you're in the laboratory, you add chemical 
A with chemical B at a certain amount of heat for a certain period of time and you get a result. Right? You get the same result. <clears throat> so similarly also with, this, with, with, the, with the human form of life and with the association of the devotees like Narada Muni, you get, we get an opportunity to get out of the material world. Or at least, I, you know, this, this hole, which having gone through, you never return. And so Prabhupada's making that point here. Uh, and of course, that's what Narada Muni is instructing the Hariyasvas and later on the Sarvalasvas. And of course, they all left home which really upset Daksha. So what was the solution? Does anybody know what the solution was? How did uh, this problem get resolved? He had daughters, yes. Lord Brahma, I think it was Lord Brahma, what might have been Lord Vishnu? I, I, um, I think it was Lord Brahma came to him and he said, "Just no, Lord Vishnu, I think it was Lord Vishnu. He said, okay, we can solve this problem. Just have daughters. Narada Muni won't preach to your daughters. <laughs> right? Is that funny? <laughs> and then... He married 60 daughters. He had 60 daughters. And those daughters were then married to the, the rishis and the, the sages and the demigods. Right? And then they were able to, he was able to then uh, uh, fulfill his um, mission to populate, to, to populate the, the universe with progeny. So this more or less set up a conflict, you know. Uh, Daksha is kind of your archetypal householder, right? And Narada Muni is, is certainly the archetypal sannyasi, and so, and this is where this tension has come, you know. Because what happens is, what happens, especially those from India, if you get involved with the Hare Krishnas and you say you want to be a, a devotee, then the family freaks out, right? Oh no, you're going to become a renunciate, right? The Hare Krishnas break up families. Right? Have you heard that? I have. Anyway. And I'm sure some of you may have, you may have heard. Um, and so there's this, there's, there's this kind of conflict between the renunciates and the uh, the householders. And of course, this is why the householder ashram is, is considered um, 
dangerous in one sense. You know, they have, for um, dangerous substance, you know, they have a handle with care uh, tape, right? They put tape around the things that they're shipping around the country and if it's, if it's dangerous or it's fragile, they put handle with care on it. So, um, it, it's not everybody is going to be as qualified as the Hariyashvas and the Shavalashvas. Right, they perform. Uh, after the Hariyashvas had gone to Narayana Saras, following in the footsteps of their father, right, the reason why they did this was because they wanted to please their father and they knew that's what their father had done. And he'd then seen Lord Vishnu and been given the blessings of Lord Vishnu to do his service, right? And so they wanted to follow in his footsteps. When Daksha uh, was approached by the Savalashvas, the and they said, can we follow in the footsteps of our brothers? We want to serve you. And we want to follow in the footsteps of the Hariyashvas because they followed in your footsteps, right? Daksha was thinking, ooh, is this a good idea or not? <laughs> he had a, in the back of his mind, he was thinking, what happens if Narada Muni comes along again and preaches to my thousand sons? just as he did with my 10,000 sons. What will happen? Could be the same thing, right? And of course, that's what happened. <laughs> he had an inkling as to... <clears throat> and of course, Narada Muni saw their qualification. He saw they were uh, extraordinarily qualified young men who by the performance of tapasya and austerities, rituals I was thinking about this the other day Daksha performed and it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam that he performed very um, that he performed rituals. So I was thinking, what, it, what kind of rituals would Daksha have performed that qualified him to see Lord Vishnu? What do you think? He's a, what do you think? What kind of rituals would Daksha have performed that he got the darshan of Lord Vishnu? Would it be Karmakanda rituals and he gets to see Lord Vishnu? What do you think? No, it couldn't be. What kind of rituals would he have been performing? Hey? Yes, devotional service. Then what kind of rituals do we perform in devotional service? Do you reckon? Hmm? Deity worship. Exactly. That was my conclusion. He must have been doing some form of deity worship. 
Because otherwise, where are the rituals? Where are they? In, in a, rituals that will qualify you to see Lord Vishnu. Anyway, there's a thought. If you've got any ideas, come back and tell us. Okay? Well, otherwise, what kind of rituals would they have been? But he performed, you know, he performed these rituals for many thousands of years. Then he saw Lord Vishnu. So, um, the Hariyashvas and the Sarvalashvas were very, very qualified after their austerities. And uh, they got, you know, in one sense, seeing Narada Muni is as good as seeing Lord Vishnu. Or maybe even better. Right? Because, oh, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Daksha got to see Lord Vishnu but had his material desire, you know, was encouraged with his material desires because that's what he wanted, right? Whereas his sons were almost more pious than the dad because when they met the devotee, bunk, they were off to Vaikuntha straight away, right? And that's what, this is what they understood. See how pious they are. They got an allegorical story from Narada Muni, got his association briefly, and then he went away. They continued with their meditation. Then when Narada Muni came back, they told him, they, they told him what they understood from his instructions and that his instruction was effectively to take to the process of bhakti. Well, because the process of bhakti will take you out of the material world into that place where you never return back to the material world. Right. Very powerful. Even, even for the householders, this is the potency of bhakti. Right. We see that with daksha. And we see that in our own lives. We're living in an age where, you know, you rarely see 10,000 Hariyashvas. The quality of, Hari, the, quality of the Hariyashvas. Right? Is that right? What do you think? I agree with it. You've seen 10,000 Hariyashvas living in uh, Mill Street? <laughs> We do see, we do see young, young boys and girls qualified, right? Our children, we hope they're qualified. We are yet to find out. Huh? That's the, 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 the challenge with child rearing is there are no guarantees. Anybody noticed? But everybody has high hopes, right? At, you've got high hopes, right? Chitra? We've got very smart kids, right? Too smart for their own good sometimes. 
And we have high hopes, but what's the reality? Sometimes, you know, even despite the best intentions of the parents, the best efforts, even the best training, but the person comes out. You know, you don't really know yourself until you're 20, what? Well, I don't even know myself and I've got a 60. Right? Past 60 and I'm still trying to work out, what's going on around here? But, you know, especially uh, youth, which, what age does youth start officially? What age does youth start? 16? 12? Who knows? (laughs) I think... Whenever it started, at least for me, it's finished some time ago. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, yeah, youth is when we start to become aware of our material inclinations as well. So it can be a challenging time for us. You know, the very, very, very qualified will... We'll follow the Hariyashvas and the Savalashvas. Right? Very qualified persons. But most of us are going to enter into the householder ashram. Most of us. That's the reality of life. Right? In fact, you know, many, a lot of complications can come into your life if you're not in the proper ashram. So we see sometimes when individuals stay as as brahmacharis or, you know, single women, single men, then all sorts of problems come up if they're not properly transitioned into the next stage of life. Interestingly enough. But, you know, the Hariyashvas and the Savala are very, very qualified and so Narada Muni can preach to them and then all of them just decide, okay, we're going to follow the, the uh, but not everybody's going to be like that. We'd like everybody to be like that, but we know they're not in reality. Yet, the process of bhakti is still valid even for the householders, right? And is liberating, so long as we use it properly to cultivate our, our, our um, bhakti. You know, the, the process of bhakti is strongly embraced. Then it doesn't matter actually what, what ashram one happens to be in. And there doesn't need to be this tension between, you know, the sannyasis and the and the householders. This is daksha, you know. Yeah. So this is this is why Narayana is saying, you know, what's the point of engaging in these fruitive activities? Because it'll just it it, it can lead into a state of confusion and ignorance. That's why the, 
That's why there's a warning. Even, you know, it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam. The householder ashram can be like a, a well in the fields, right? All over India there are wells dug, especially in places like Bengal. And you can be walking along and then all of a sudden you fall down the well. And it can be a deep well. And if it is a deep well, then what happens? You're stuck. Right? You're stuck. My uncle had a well. It's probably still there. In the back of his yard at, uh, in Hawthorne in, in Adelaide. Beautiful yard. Um, peach trees, nectarine trees, fig tree, apricot trees. Summertime was just perfect. You could just hang around in my uncle's backyard and just eat fresh fruit. Uh, and water, he, he would pump water out of the well. But of course the well's dangerous. Don't go near the well. Right? Even, even actually in, in the house where I was born, or in this... The, the the town that I was born in, the house that we were living in had a well. And the famous story about me, my grandma and my parents used to always tell this story how little Andy threw all the pumpkins in the well. <laughs> and not only the pumpkins, he also threw his hobby horse <laughs> Everything that I could get, I threw in the well. <laughs> right? So even... But dangerous, you know. Why do my parents leave me unattended at the well? <laughs> when you think about it. So household life is, is described to be very... You know, it is dangerous because there's an element of sense gratification that comes. Right? But... The process of bhakti gives us the intelligence if we're practicing it strictly or, you know, with dedication and focus. It gives us the ability to discriminate and so that we can use that because we have the... There may be those... Not maybe, there are those propensities to act. Like Daksha, he had... He and, and Brahma even, they wanted to procreate. They wanted to... Uh, to generate progeny. And Brahma performed his, you know, his penances and austerities and saw the Lord. And the Lord said, if you, effectively, if you engage in the process of bhakti and perform these activities according to religious principles, and that's that's devotion. And I'm pleased by that. I'm, I'm satisfied by that and you'll be liberated and, and go back to Vaikuntha at the end of this life. That's effectively what's, what the instruction is. <clears throat> uh, you know, theistic 
conduct, which means following the guidelines of the Shastra. Uh, being determined, so continually and patient, right, and accepting the 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 um, austerities that come by the performance of bhakti, by being tolerant, uh, determined, constant practice, uh, constant practice, then one can uh, make progress, even, even if one's not like the Hariyasvas and the Savalasvas, still we can make progress. And, and, you know, a lot of that means, well, for us it means chanting Hare Krishna, but it also means deity worship. Very interesting. Narada Muni is the, you know, he's the, he's the chanting, he's a ch chanter, right? He likes to chant. Narada Muni, Bhajaya Veena, Radhika Ramana, Namine, right? With his vena, he travels throughout the whole of the creation, anywhere. Spiritual planet or material planet, Narada Muni can go anywhere on the power of his vena and the chanting of the holy name, right? Radhika Ramana Namine. So, but along with the chanting, he also gives the Pancharatra. Narada Pancharatra, which gives all the guidelines of deity worship. Right? Those, the, the rituals, if you look, if, if there are rituals that we perform, it's all in the, the deity worship. Right? And it's part of the nine items of bhakti. Archanam. Right? Archanam. So we have the chanting of Hare Krishna and the worship of the deity. They go together. Even though the chanting is most important, we still need the deity worship. And that's how in a household or any ashram really, doesn't, it's, it's, it's for everybody, this process, chanting Hare Krishna, but also the cleanliness, the regulation, the focus, the meditation that comes from chanting and deity worship. So Prabhupada mentions there's, there's our pro, the process of bhakti is like a, a, a railway track in that there's the Bhagavat Vidhi and the Pancharatrika Vidhi. So the Bhagavat Vidhi is chanting, hearing the Bhagavatam, chanting Hare Krishna. That's one track. And, you know, if you... A, a railway or a, a, a train, if you like, our bhakti train, needs two tracks to run on. Otherwise, if you don't have one track, what happens? It's a monorail. <laughs> but, but not many, you know, that's specialised. A regular old railway track needs two tracks to run on. Chant, you know, Bhagavad Viti Pancharatra. Pancharatrika Vidhi. 
This is why the deity worship is important, and the deity worship especially recommended for the householders, but also practiced by the renunciates. Uh, it's not. It's for everybody, actually. So, and 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 that way, then everybody gets to go towards that hole, if you like, or that door, that gateway, that takes us to the Vaikuntha realm. Strict engagement in bhakti means you don't go tamasi ma into the ignorance. It's designed in such a way so that always one comes to the jodhir, to the light. And, and, you know, get up early, chant Hare Krishna, worship the deity. That's the, that's the benefit, pretty much, of the bhakti process. It engages everything. And then, you know, our, when we've performed that morning sadhana, evening sadhana, our daily pursuits, and, and of course that reawakens our spiritual identity. Who am I? I'm Nitya Krishna Das. I'm Krishna's servant. And, you know, with that intelligence honed, especially by hearing the Bhagavatam, you know, Krishna says, anybody who studies the Bhagavad Gita is worshipping me with their intelligence. So we need to study the, the Shastra, that's the Bhagavad Vidhi, chanting and Bhagavatam, right? And Bhagavad Gita, that's, that's Kirtanam, that's Shravanam Kirtanam, right? Hearing and chanting and remembering, that reminds us I'm Krishna's servant and so therefore my activities should be done that in such a way, so they're pleasing to Krishna. And that's what Daksha was doing, effectively. Daksha, Lord Brahma, that's what they were doing. As well as, you know, Narada Muni, but in a more direct way. But still, for the, for the rest of us, there's the, the, it's still direct. Still direct and, and powerful but um, beneficial also for those who are not renunciates. But so long as the, those who are not renunciates are keeping their material, we won't call it, we, we might say it's material inclination, but if those material inclinations are performed in concert with or in harmony with or coalescing with Krishna's desire, then it's not material activity anymore, interestingly enough. And why, you know, hearing from the Bhagavatam, chanting Hare Krishna, is there to purify our consciousness, purify our intelligence, so that we're, we're not going to the dark side, we're going to the light. Right? Very subtle, it's not subtle actually, it's spiritual science. Uh, which focuses purely on our spiritual identity um, and, and takes our material qualification, if you like, our material inclinations and elevates it, which brings it up. So that's what Narada Muni is saying to the Hariyasvas. Don't stay in the material world. Don't stay here and help your father perform his service because... 
what benefit will you get? And they're smart enough to realise that. Not all of us are that smart. Or that way inclined even. That's the thing. It's inclination. And that's why Krishna says, what can repression accomplish? Right? And why we don't, you know, it's not wise for us to push, uh, say, somebody who's not inclined to be a brahmachari, to push them to be a brahmachari. Because if their inclination is otherwise, it'll come out. It'll come out. Despite what you do, despite what we do, it'll, it'll pop out. Right? Make sense? Whereas if somebody is a, a renunciate, like Raghunath Das right, is a good example. Raghunath Das was very, very advanced devotee. And it's very interesting if you see who did who did Raghunath Das associate with when he was a boy? Who was Raghunath Das associating with when he was a boy? Anybody know? From the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Huh? Oh, I'm not sure about that, but could have been, yes. Advaita Acharya. Haridas Thakur. Right? This is who he was associating with. <laughs> so so, you know, and his parents, his uncle and his father were, were beside themselves because he, kept, he, he wanted to leave home all the time and go with Lord Chaitanya. And Lord Chaitanya had to tell him, cool it, <laughs> relax, the time will come. But, you know, Govardhan and uh, Hiranya, Hiranya, Hiranya Gava, maybe his name was Hiranya, uh, Majumda, they were saying, well, he's got a beautiful wife. He's got so much money. He's living in opulence. But we can't tie, if we can't tie him down with that, then what can we do? Right? What can we do? So he's just naturally a renunciate, so he couldn't restra- restrain him. Right? And yet others who are naturally inclined to the household ashram you can't force them to be renunciates. So we go, this is the trick. It's a trick. Oh, no, it's not a trick. It's an art to identify, you know, especially for those of us who are parents, what is my child's inclination? Right? Well, have to measure that and then facilitate it. Otherwise, if we repress it or try to encourage it in the wrong way, it'll, it'll go, it won't work, interestingly enough. But doesn't matter, whatever, this way or that way, if we follow the bhakti process, it's so powerful that actually it, 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 it supports the renunciates, but it also supports the, the, um, the, uh, what do we call what do we call the householders without giving them too bad a name? The devotees, the regular devotees, the ninety five percent or more of the rest of us. 
Uh, uh. Okay, so it's interesting, this battle or this, co this confrontation between Daksha and Narada Muni. Doesn't need to be there, actually, for us. You know, otherwise, what's the point? The householders benefit from the association of devotees like Narada Muni. And that's why Narada Muni goes around. He preaches to everybody. This is, he, Narada Muni is pretty much the archetypal uh, Paramahamsa, right? like Prabhupada. And Prabhupada didn't say to everybody, okay, you now have to all be brahmacharis, brahmacharinis and sannyasis. Although everybody aspired to be like that, interestingly enough. But, but actually in the 70s, even in the, into the 80s and even now probably, it caused problems because Prabhupada was the, he was our example and everybody was trying to imitate him. Right? And so we had devotees who were trying to be like Prabhupada and who wouldn't want to be, but actually they weren't sannyasis. Right? And so Prabhupada said, oh, well, you tried, good, but now be a householder. It's just as good. Right? Classic example is Madhadvisa Prabhu, who bought this temple. Right? To whom we owe a great debt. And, and who Prabhupada loved. And Prabhupada said, go and be a householder. It's okay. So we shouldn't think, you know, well, I'm a householder, I'm fallen or whatever. Okay, we are fallen, but at the same time, if we follow Prabhupada's instructions, we'll be, as, you know, elevated. Okay, Gwantaraj 